Growler Media presents Joe vs. the Minute. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Joe vs. the Minute. Today we're going to talk about Minute 2. And it's funny because something that I said happened in Minute 1 actually happens in Minute 2. I'm sorry. (laughs) So you have only listened to one podcast, maybe our preview episode, and already we've just been damn dirty liars. It was totally on me, though. I talked about this musical cue, how it changes from the fairy tale opening. The orchestra warms up, the fairy tale opening, and then I was like, and then it rips the rug out from under you with this musical change. And this minute is where the musical change. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as we started watching it in isolation, I was like, oh, no. Well, you know what? Well, sorry. Hi, this is Jarf. I just, I had to get that off my chest. I'm sorry. I'm Tierney Steele, and I am a liar. And I am Jarf, and I'm here to set the record straight. I think I know what might have happened. I think it wasn't just you bleeding into the next minute. I think you sensed that there was something missing. And I'm here to fill in what you were sensing. This is another tidbit from the Shanley screenplay. Instead of the transition how we get it, he said that after the credits, a legend appears across the field of gray. And it's a quote. You only live twice. Once when you're born, once when you look death in the face. James Bond. I hate that. I know. That's... Such a different, different tone. The quote, of course, is from the Fleming novel, You Only Live Twice. And I see the through line, and we talked a little bit in minute one about how one of the things that was on his mind when he was writing it is thinking about growing up in a violent neighborhood, and Joe, as a character, has had post-traumatic stress and is fearful. But a James Bond quote, just in and of itself, isn't the right tone for me. And I don't like leaning so much into this stoic hero mindset at the beginning. Yeah, and I should clarify, that is a perfectly fine quote for James Bond to say in the movie or in the novel, You Only Live Twice. It's not even a bad line. It just doesn't fit this character at all. Joe is not a James Bond. They always talk about how Indiana Jones came about because Steven Spielberg wanted to direct a James Bond movie and couldn't get the franchise. Joe is not Indiana Jones. Joe is not James Bond, and especially at this beginning part. And so I think that would have been really jarring. Well, do you think the idea is, oh, he's not truly alive now, but if only he could have some kind of life or death experience, then he would be alive again? I think the way they do it in the movie is so much better where it builds slowly to that, because he doesn't think of it that way. I agree. I think that's a different movie. I think that's yeah. a, I think that's a movie where you don't see that progression and growth anywhere throughout the movie. And it's not until that final moment where he decides he's going to face his fears. And Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan have a huge passionate kiss. And then he tears off his shirt and jumps into the volcano. That it, It's not even that. Like, the movie isn't about him... Well, I guess it is about him looking death in the face, but it's about the changes that happen when he does that. It's not about the moment that he looks death in the face. It's how he's a different person for doing it. So we're okay to go full spoilers at this point, right? I think we have to. And in our defense, the trailer did, so... The the trailer really did. If you haven't listened to our teaser episode, 
It's a treat because we were unimpressed with the trailer. Yeah, Tierney's got a serious beef with the trailer and for good reason. (laughs) So full spoiler, I think the big difference here is for me, the climax of the movie, the point of the movie that made me fall in love with it. It's not the closing scenes at the volcano. It's the raft scene with the moonrise. And that's where you see him make a real transition. So not simply about facing death, but embracing and being joyful about life. Yeah, I think that's what they, that's what movie makers should want people to take away from their movie. Mm -hmm. I would hope, maybe, maybe I'm just a more optimistic person. Well, I think that we have that in common. But you know what? Let's let's walk back from the raft, all the way back from the ocean, into this all the lot. all the way back into this muddy, filthy the parking sea lot. Sea of a parking lot. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Go from the ocean to the sea of cars. <laughs> a sea of oh, nice, nice one uh-huh. there. Now, is this Staten Island? We know his apartment's on Staten Island. I wasn't sure if this factory is as well. I. Or did he take the Staten Island ferry with that car? That is a really good question. We never see him on his commute commute, do we? The only time we see him on the road, it's after he's quit and he's he's headed to New York City, right? Yeah. I was just curious because I hear the Staten Island ferry and I'm assuming you can take cars on it like the Nantucket ferry. I should have probably looked that up before I said it. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't occur to me till I said it. (laughs) We're not here to give you travel tips. We're just here to describe Joe's commute to work and his sad, sad slog through the mud to the tune of 16 tons, which really, it couldn't be a more perfect song. It is fantastic. It works so well. It did slightly, I don't want to say scar me for life because I didn't mind, but now when I hear the song 16 Tons, even in very serious contexts, I cannot take it seriously because I think about this medical factor, Mm. medical supplies factory. And so it's very hard to have actual discussions about the tragedy that was coal mining in the depression when you're thinking about Joe versus the volcano instead. (laughs) Sorry, John Steinbeck. It was a thing. (laughs) I guess he was far worse, but you get the idea. But I've known this song most of my life, so it was always very surreal to me. And this is the version that I know the best, even though it's not the most famous, weirdly. Oh, this is the version that you know the best because of the movie? Oh, definitely. I had to look up the one that everyone was talking like. So to backtrack, 16 Tons was written by Merle Travis in the mid-late 40s, I would say late 40s, but Tennessee Ernie Ford's version from 1955 is the most famous. That is the one that you will find in Library of Congress's National Recording Registry. So that's significant. But if you told me, think about the song 16 Tons, this is what I would think of. I think that that makes perfect sense. First experience, that's going to leave an indelible mark. And I like the Tennessee Ernie Ford version. Not that I get a vote on what gets included in the archives and what doesn't. But I have to say... Any day now, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Any day now. I really love Eric Burden's voice on this performance. It's just so rough and gravelly. And if folks aren't familiar, he was the driving force of the British Invasion band, the Animals. 
think House of the Rising Sun. And then he um, went on to... He was in something else that caught my eye. War. Now I don't remember. Oh, okay. Yeah, duh. Yeah. And that's dope because they were one of the first multiracial bands. And so his big hit with them was and Spill the, the Wine. who did Lowrider. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, not to like, the, the political social connotation obviously is important, but also lowrider. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so catchy. Probably has to be the most sampled song. We petitioned to get that to be our song. You know how in yearbooks you have like the song of the year and it's always the most, you know, it's like the current pop hit. Right. Enough of us were fans of the movie Dazed and Confused that there actually was like a showing in the percentages of voting for Lowrider to be our song of the year in 2002. Nice. Respect to it your high school. It didn't win, but it was statistically significant. <laughs> <laughs> I think in terms of this performance of 16 Tons, probably House of the Rising Sun is the closest (laughs) to the energy he was bringing. But I really dig it. And it really does set this awful tone of going into a job you hate. You're miserable. Everybody's miserable. That just makes you more miserable. That woman was smoking and eating at the same time. That's so gross. Yeah. Eating what did not look to be an especially healthy sandwich before work, first thing in the morning, cigarette at the same time. Yeah, that's that's just unhealthy choice on top of unhealthy choice. <laughs> yeah. I was frustrated I couldn't figure out an actor to credit for that performance. She reminded me of the villain from Goonies. Though. Oh, I could see that. Right? Yeah. I always think of her as being such a larger than life presence though. And this woman, she seems very tiny. Mm-hmm. But also a force of nature, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how to explain it. So do you think this has to be her routine, right? Probably oh. no smoking inside because it's medical supply company. I don't think we see anybody smoking inside. Or uh, She probably works on the floor if you look at her outfit. And so she wouldn't be allowed to smoke there. Okay, that makes sense. And you said it's first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning. She actually, this probably isn't her, fr- I hate to say it, this probably is not her first cigarette of the day. She probably had one when she first woke up and then another one on the way to work. And now this is her last one before she goes into the factory. And I bet her kids still live with her and they've been on her about her health. That's why she's wolfing down the sandwich in the parking lot instead of eating it at home. So she's eating it on the sly. So I'm. Th- this is not an unusual, oh, I was short on time. She has the vibe that this is her, her daily routine and i'm guessing that joe sees this woman eating a sandwich smoking a cigarette every morning of his life oh that is so depressing let that sink in (laughs) yeah (laughs) we wanted to have these first couple weeks of opening credits to be just the two of us but also like who would you give these minutes to (laughs) right guests on for fun interesting things not right. this parking lot i will say something that was fun and interesting to me that i also took well over a decade to notice just take a look at that factory when it pans up from the parking lot and we first see the medical factory before it zooms you know, before it's closer of him walking in going past all these signs of what they make just you know just look at the interesting architectural structure details. Maybe tuck that away in the back of your mind. It might look familiar later in the movie. Did you pick up on this? I did not pick up on this. <gasps> 
I did appreciate the symmetry of the shot. So Mm -hmm. the shot with our main titles where Joe versus the volcano is on the screen. It's all neatly symmetrical. It's framed by the twin smokestacks. And Uh I actually found a production illustration from the storyboard by production illustrator Carl Aldana. And how he conceived of the shot where you see that sea of cars that Tierney described and then the nice symmetrical factory and twin smokestacks. But whatever you're alluding to, I don't think that I caught it. Uh, We are a spoiler podcast. The factory is the exact same design as, is it the shaman later on the island that tells the story of the big woo? No way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that is so cool. The shaman, the one that escorts, that does the performance before the party and then escorts him up to the volcano. It's the eyes, it's the teeth. He has the two things on his head that are exactly like the smokestacks. Oh, wow. I'll have to look at that storyboard again and see if it is specifically laid out like that. And I can't wait to watch both of those minutes again and watch them side by side. I happen to have it paused on second 23 of minute two. So I'm sure there are other seconds around there where it's visible, but that happens to be the one I'm looking at. It's one of those things I have said many times, this is one of those movies that rewards rewatching. And that was one of the things that rewarded me one day where all of a sudden I was like, it looks like a face. Oh my God, it is a face. (laughs) (laughs) That is super cool. And you're quite right that this movie rewards rewatching. This was one of the first movies that I ever discovered an Easter egg in. And felt very excited and very smart for clocking it. And this was really pre-internet. So the day after a movie came out, there wasn't a YouTube video saying every Easter egg in Avengers Endgame. So it was more of a personal experience discovering these kind of things and just talking about it with friends. But I remember the first Easter egg I ever found. And it was Back to the Future when he runs over the pine tree in the 50s. (laughs) And then when he goes back... Back, it's it's Lone Pine yeah. Mall instead of Twin. And I was like, wait, it was Twin Pond and now it's Lone. Oh my gosh. So that was very exciting. But then this was probably the second one that I remember. And it's, of course, the reoccurrence of the lightning bolt symbol. And mm-hmm. here in minute two, we get our first instance of the lightning bolt. Yep, on the American Panoscopic sign. Oh! Oh, yes, of course. I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. It's the logo of the company. Exactly. Shanley described it as a, quote, sort of German expressionist lightning bolt. And so you see that on a black triangle in the logo from the company. There we go. We've got our first one. So we're going to have to keep count, right? Oh, absolutely. Because I love to count. One thing that doesn't reward rewatching, I guess it technically does. I rewatched this minute a few times and every time I like physically flinched at that toe stub, at the shoe breaking. Oh, it looks so uncomfortable. Mm, so uncomfortable. That's the worst, right? <laughs> Walking along, minding your own business, and then out of nowhere, you injure yourself or in this case, your shoe, but it can't have felt good. 
It can't feel good. That kind of thing is always a problem for me because my pit bull, Jack Bowow, he's very, very squirrely. And so if you stub your toe and you react as most people do when they stub their toe, he gets very scared. So I have had to learn to temper my responses so he doesn't think that I'm mad. And it's like, no, it's just a stub toe. Everything's cool. I'm just going to kind of be here in pain for a minute. Your dog sounds amazing and we need to have him on as a guest. (laughs) I'm sure he'll be on as a guest many times. Because I want to pet. That was about all I had for minute two. Did you have any other notes? I mean, that's literally what it ends on. So it's a good place to end. It's a good place to end, but your fun doesn't have to end. How's that for a transition? Good job. You can (laughs) join us in our Facebook group, the Joe versus the Minute Listeners Luggage Raft. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Joe versus Minute. So we've done it, Tierney. Minute two is in the books. We've made it this far on our journey. So who knows where the rest will take us? Oh, away from the things of man, of course. Away from the things of man. Now I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I'm gonna go when the volcano blows. Let me say now I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I'm gonna go when the volcano blows. Wow, something is really different. I'm a growler.